Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com mailbag podcast on this Friday. Glad to have you with us with Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Hubs. Hope everybody is doing well. Again, you can check out Blue Water Climate Control on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate, or you can check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. We'll jump right into the mailbag, and we're going to start right out of the gate. I knew this one was coming. This is from Cajun3. Question number one is, uh, will Tennessee seriously push for JT Daniels? Could you see us also a scenario uh, of games being played in empty stadiums? And his third question is, in the past, we've had coaches go into certain hotbeds and make up for previous staff's missteps, thinking of this staff going into Memphis after Butch did not recruit it. With uh, fresh blood on the staff, is there any particular region where we're having to fix the mistakes from coaches that are no longer here. Let's start first with JT Daniels, and I will defer to you, Austin Price, for the JT Daniels discussion to start. Well, you know, with JT, I think Tennessee is uh, very much in play here. To me, this is a four-team race, um, Oregon, Michigan, Tennessee, and LSU. Uh, From some people I've talked to, they think that it's kind of even a two-team race between Tennessee and LSU. Um, I I think Tennessee – um, is going to do everything they can to see if they can end up landing JT Daniels. From the outside looking in with no bias, would it be easy just to go and, and, and you know, throw to those receivers at LSU? That, to me, makes a ton of sense. The, the opposite of that would be the fact that, you know, do you really want to follow Joe Burrow and what he just did at LSU? I mean, you know, you could have a really good year and it wouldn't – hold a you know, candle to what Joe did. So, um, you know, I guess you can look at it a number of different ways. Michigan finished second in his recruitment the first time around. Obviously, Oregon, you had remained in the Pac-12 and out on the West Coast. Uh, and then, of course, you have the relationship with T here at Tennessee. Again, he's not been to the East and not been in the Southeast for any particular amount of time. Would he pick one of those schools having never made a visit there uh, as opposed to maybe a Michigan who he did see um, and does have more of a feel with, or does he stay on the West Coast with Oregon? But I think, Jesse, for path to field and immediate playing time with weapons around him, LSU would be the one, as Austin said, that jumps off the page at you. Yeah, because you get to play with the number one receiver in the country and Jamar Chase. Um, <laughs> and other they guys up too. On, yeah, and they loaded up on some other guys. And then you got a five-star running back in John Emery. Uh, he didn't get to play a whole lot last year because he was playing behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, so in terms of weapons, I I think it's an easy decision. Now, does he want to follow Burrow as AP brought up? It's a good point. Um, but it's also a quick way to kind of reload behind a a program that, uh, continues to kind of be on the ascent, even if they're replacing a ton of parts that are going to get drafted here over the next few days. And Joe Brady's no longer at LSU. Does that have an impact? I mean, because it potentially could have an impact on a decision. Well, certainly because he was the guy that drew all the attention a year ago, that that he was the guy who made LSU what they were. Part two of his question, Rob, to you, do you see a scenario or could you see a scenario of games being played in empty stadiums this fall? I don't think anything's off the table. But, I mean, I I think that if that's the the way they have to go, if they're still not going to allow, you know, 90,000, 100,000 people to congregate. I just think there's too much money at, at stake for them not to play and, you know, get to, and still have the TV revenue. As Jesse posted on the board yesterday, the, the poll from um, athletic directors across the country, they, <laughs> the vast majority, overwhelming majority certainly think there's going to be football in the fall. And I, again, I just fall back on the financials, but 
as, as you've been saying, everybody's been saying, we'll know more in a month. But, uh, you know, if they're gonna, if they're going to have kids on campus, which, you know, I've got a, I've got a young man's going to be a senior or a freshman in college next year that, you know, we're certainly hoping that's the case. And Missouri's president indicated yesterday that he thought that, you know, there were going to be students on campus this fall. If, if there are kids on campus, I think they'll be playing football, whether yep. there's people in the stands or not. I'm with you. I think every scenario is certainly on the table, as we've mentioned and thrown out there before. Let's go to his last question here. Jesse, we'll start with you about the hotbeds, places that Tennessee's gotten into, uh, or would they get into that the previous staff hasn't? We've seen that in North Carolina. Any other places you think this staff, uh, with the relationships they have, might be able to get into that's not just Georgia, uh, Tennessee? They're trying in Alabama, although that may be hard. Maybe that's the biggest area uh, is Memphis, Alabama, uh, compared to what Butch's staff did, in addition to North Carolina. Well, I mean, I, th I think we'll see, you know, uh, in, in a second cycle if things – resume to kind of some sort of normalcy does Jay Graham have more of a play in kind of the tidewater and, and up in the Virginia does he kind of try to go more aggressively up there uh to try to get more kids to campus obviously they're recruiting Tony Grimes but you know maybe in future cycles could see up there is the vets around AP does he kind of continue to try to get Tennessee uh you know into that Philly or into that New Jersey mix where you're seeing, you know, Ohio State's had a lot of success there. Georgia's obviously created a pipeline from Philadelphia. Um, you know, New Jersey's got a lot of good players too. And, and so that's why part of the reason uh, Greg Shiano got hired back at Rutgers was to keep as many guys up there. If Asavet's here another year, he showed a propensity for those first two months to get some kids to campus. I could see that becoming a place that Tennessee – tries to recruit a little bit more broadly, a little bit more nationally. But a lot of that hubs, AP, I think it's dependent on winning. You know, you, you got you to kind of get some – to get that national exposure, you got to start winning. Yeah, I mean, when Tennessee was winning, Brent, you know this better than anybody, they were able to pull kids from California, Turk McBride from New Jersey. I mean, all kinds of places all over. Um, you know, we'll even drop Adam Myers White reference from Ohio. You could pull people – from all over the place when you're winning. Tennessee has, last year established that they took a step in the right direction in year two. If they can take another step this year, I think that's something that's a slow build to, which is why you've got to take care of North Carolina. Unfortunately for Tennessee, Mac Brown does got a lot of juice over there. Brent made a good point the other night in the Monday night chat. Mac's got a dynamic personality. I mean, he's, you know, somebody that, you know, you know, people gravitate towards. Even though he's an older gentleman, you know, he, he's got a dynamic personality that people really kind of just, you know, just kind of go to. And so um, I think that resonates with kids. He's hired some, you know, a, a solid staff around him. But Tennessee, if they're able to land, you know, Isaac Washington, Jalen Wright, who, who I think continues to pick up more steam. You go back just yesterday, he picked up West Virginia and Arkansas. He's going to continue to pick up more and more um, – you know, offers. He's six foot, 198 pounds right now. He's definitely not a small back. I mean, you know, when you put another 15 pounds on him and he can handle it because he's got broad shoulders, he, he's going to, he's going to run with an explosiveness that I think a lot of people are going to love. Then if you can add Cayman Marley, we'll see where they are with some of these other guys in, in the state of North Carolina, whether it's Javari Ritzy, Travali Price, uh, those type players. But, you know, if you can, to me, you've got to take care of North Carolina, you got to take care of some parts of Georgia, and you got to take care of the home front. The hard part is it's not a great year in the state of Tennessee, Brent. You look across the board, 
I mean, there are some players, but it's not nearly as deep as it was a year ago. Yeah, there's no question about that. Rob, the other thing, too, is when you talk about recruiting nationally and you go back to the heyday for Tennessee, I don't want to take anything away from what Philip Fulmer and his staff did. They were successful in areas where football wasn't good at that particular point in time. You know, when you talk about going out to California and getting, you know, Casey Clawson, Kevin Burnett, and Kevin Simon, well, Pete Carroll, you know, Pete Carroll was not at um, – yeah, he wasn't at USC making hay at that point in time. And, and Oregon wasn't doing big things at that point. The West Coast was really wide open uh, to some SEC schools. You, you go look at the national championship year when they had all the South Carolina players. Clemson was a non-factor at that point. So Tennessee through the years made a living in some states where at the time the home state school wasn't very good. It's a little harder to find some of those right now. If you say, well, go back to Oklahoma and get some guys. Well, when you got Robert Meacham, Oklahoma was bad, Rob. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think the elephant in the room, and we certainly talked about it before, is Clemson. I think that's, you know, that's hurt Tennessee more than any, anything. Um, and, and Georgia, to, to some degree, too. I mean, Georgia was, you know, decent back in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s, but they were playing for national championships like they have been the past couple of years. So, I think to me the Carolinas are huge, but yeah, I mean it's just a common sense that nationally you're, the brand is not what it once was, and it's hard hard to go into somebody's backyard when you're you know when say it's Ohio State's backyard like you know, 10, 15 years ago when they got Austin Mission Adam Myers White, they also got Ben Martin who was a five star went up there and plucked him, and New Jersey you know I think Tennessee capitalized there several times. You mentioned Turk McBride, Richard Baker was also a big time recruit. They got from there and Penn and you know Penn State, not not doing much there and you know in Joe Pa's final years. So yeah, they, I think it goes hand in hand. I mean, I think your brand you have to win. Your brand has to be strong, and you can't you know you're not going to win many battles against you know Ohio State, USC when they're good. Go ahead, Jesse. Go ahead, Jesse. Well, I just want to make one aside here. So AP, finish your point, and then I'll make an aside. Well, I was going to say, we, we, we joke about Adam Myers White and Ben Martin. Those guys were highly ranked coming out of high school and were coveted by every other big-time program. They didn't have great careers. But, you know, Rob brings up a great point about Rashad Baker. Then you go down to the D.C. area where Tennessee obviously has tried to recruit a little bit here lately, whether it be up in the DMV. They got a guy like Rico McCoy. So, I mean, like, you know, you go all over. When Tennessee was winning, they were able to recruit all those areas. But you're, you, Brent brings up a great point when, you know, taking advantage of some areas where the football was not great. But right now, where is there an area that you can take advantage of? I mean, I just don't know if there is one. Well, and my aside to that, which you kind of gave me a layup here, AP, that I was going to make a point. We see it a lot of times on our board. You hear other folks talk about it. You know, why, why can't, you know, specifically Tennessee fans, but in terms of like, hey, recruiting against South Carolina or recruiting against Auburn, Two coaches that I think a lot of fans are like, oh, Will Muschamp is going to be on the hot seat. Oh, Gus Malzahn is always on the hot seat. Well, no one's going to be on the hot seat with coronavirus, with this pandemic, in my opinion. Schools are not going to shell out millions of dollars to pay for buyouts. Job security is going to be on an all-time high, in my opinion, after this 2020 season. Um, and so – you, 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 we see it on our board all the time, right, AP? People are like, oh, South Carolina, why would they go there? What, who would go play for Will Muschamp when he may be getting fired next season? Well, he probably has more security than you really think, and that's why Tennessee's in a real battle for Tyon Evans with South Carolina. 
Cody Brown and, and, and Gus Malzahn and Auburn. They're not going to write that check. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not hard to kind of see where this thing's going economically. And if schools are talking about having to cut back programs, these boosters are not going to be writing, forking over these checks when they're worried about, you know, some of their oil shares and stuff that is tanking down in Texas. So, I, I do agree that I think that the, the job security will be at an all-time high. But to think that there's not going to be any movement at all, I think, would be ridiculous. I do think there'll be movement, whether it's self-inflicted or not. I think at some point, like, okay, let's say Tennessee loses out on Junior Colson. Every year for the last three or four years, has Jim Harbaugh not been rumored to be out going back to the NFL? At some point, that's probably going to happen. Who's to say it doesn't happen uh, coming up this year? So who's That's say different than someone getting fired, though. No, but I, what I'm saying though is, is I think that there, there, you think that there's not going to be anybody get you know. Well, let he didn't go. Say, Jesse didn't I didn't say, say zero. I didn't say zero, but I think you're on a lot of the big time programs that these guys have major buyouts. I think the schools are going to punt. Almost have to be forced to use this as a mulligan year because of just kind of how everything's been so wild. Again, this is my opinion as we sit here in late April, but I would be surprised the way this thing is starting to transpire, if you're going to see a lot of schools shell out millions of dollars to pay a guy not to coach their football team amid what is going to be an uncertain next 12 months, no matter how it unfolds. Yeah. If there, in, my, in my opinion, if there is football this fall, and if there are fans in the stands, which means that's a good revenue maker, I think that there will be maybe a fraction more job security, but I don't think it'll be that much more. Well, that's well, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. I mean, you, you know, if schools are losing 30 to $50 million and, and people are having to, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the financial parameters of all this takes place. I mean, in, in, in terms of how many people do, even if there is fans in the stands, how many people come, how many people are afraid to come, all those things we, we don't know the answers to. Think about how many basketball point. coaches have saved their jobs because the season just ended. That's, that's, that's a definite. I mean – Go ahead, Rob. So many coaches. I was just, just say that's that's an absolute definite. I, from talking to some people in the profession, that there, that has certainly been the case. Now, I, I, Danny Manning at Wake Forest. I, I, if if all this isn't happening, I'd say Wake Forest is, is one example. This springs to mind where you, where you would have seen a coaching search. All right, let's, I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. I, 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 I'm not going to argue. No. Just, to me, that's apples and oranges. The basketball staff, which literally happened at the beginning of this whole thing, and football stuff that wouldn't end until December. Who knows where we are? And it may be worse, but it may be not be. Who knows? Yeah, that's the thing. No, nobody knows. But I, I do think there is a there is a financial – there's a financial – coming out of this, whatever it turns into, there's going to be a greater financial responsibility than what we have seen in years past when people have just said, hey, let's make a change and we'll, we'll write the check. I'm not saying the balloon on college athletics, you know, in terms of how much money you make has busted – but there's been a lot of people living way above their means in terms of continuing to add people or pay enormous salaries. I mean, here's a great question right now, and this is not a question in the, in the mailbag, but I'm going to ask this one anyway. What, what does Philip Fulmer do with Jeremy Pruitt's salary? You know, we, we've talked about it. extension and a raise was on the table. That was going to happen. Okay, what, what are you going to do now? I mean, you've got schools around the country that are furloughing coaches, furloughing people, not Tennessee at this point. But what's the fiscal responsibility to how you handle somebody's contract um, when you don't know if multimedia people, uh, you know, companies are going to be paying the university their rights fees and, and you're losing all the money that you're losing right now? I, I, think, I think that's why you've not seen the announcement that Jimmy Joe's getting a raise. Now, to your point, Austin, 
who knows what it looks like eight months from now. You know, it, it may be that everybody's back on a, a budget of $140 million and they're rolling right along, but you're also probably going to have some schools that don't have sports, that they've eliminated a handful of their sports, um, not at the Power 5 level, but at the Group of 5 level. I think you're going to see some more people like Cincinnati who's eliminated a sport because of the financial uh, bearings that they're at. Let's go to well, – you're, uh, you're, you're going to see you're, – and you're, there's going to be plenty – I mean, this is another aside, and I'll make the point quick, but you're going to see plenty of, of co or administrators and, and folks use this COVID-19 pandemic as an easy excuse to, to get rid of some stuff that perhaps they've always wanted to get rid of, and now they can say, hey, we just can't afford it And you know, during these uncertain times. So – well, and I think Cincinnati and the soccer program falls under that category because in talking to people up that way, that program's been on, had been on life support for a while, and this was a, an easy out at this point in time to, to make that move. Let's go to uh, when, when can I start? Uh, this is a follow-up to JT Daniels, and, and I want to ask this question um, it, because he's kind of referencing this a little bit. So do, you sta do you think the staff believes we must get the best players we can regardless of how other players feel? Uh, so I think the question, Rob, that I derive from that is, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, T. Martin, Jim Chaney, and you're talking to J.T. Daniels, how are you managing that with your quarterbacks in a room that are probably all reading stuff on the Internet and wondering what's going on with, with that situation as well? I, I think Jeremy Pruitt is immune to worrying about hurting people's feelings. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that he's going to be, you know, do something subversive or, you know, but he's all about competition. I'm sure I, – I imagine that that's – probably not a concern of his, how, you know, Garn J Jared's going to feel or Harrison Bailey's going to feel if he feels like Philip Daniels gives him a chance to win more football games. I agree. I do think that, that Coach Pruitt, you know, I, I, I think he cares more than you probably think about the perception of people leaving the program. Um, you know, uh, you've seen very few people depart this program since he got here. And, Jesse, I think, you know, when, he, when we got here, we thought there was a lot of defections. Huh? Minus coaches. <laughs> yeah, we're not calling coaches. <laughs> Tired. Um, you know, but I, I think with JT, I think that, you know, I think the coaching staff from people I've talked to has been fairly upfront about, you know, that's something that uh, the avenue we're going to at least, you know, look at and, and you know, we'll just, you know, try to be honest with the kids. So, again, you, you, you want to go get the best player that you, you can get, no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know, who's to say JT Daniels doesn't not they go somewhere else but you know jg's already been proactively looking you know for another home who's to say he doesn't leave and all of a sudden it's a, you know a, a different looking quarterback room than you even thought no idea what's going to happen that's you know it changes every day with that let's go on to the next question here uh, i've read where auburn's turning up the heat on cody brown where does that recruitment stand when do you think cody brown's going to make a decision austin sounds like this is a july to early august decision for cody brown at this point, you think it's a Tennessee-Auburn battle at the, to the finish line with him? I, I do. Um, I think it's Tennessee-Auburn, unless Georgia decides that, you know, uh, you know ten, Georgia got the running back uh, about a week ago. Um, they want another one. You know, if, if, if they miss out on enough, they can end up going down that road. But right now, I don't think Cody would be a take at Georgia. So, um, I, I think it's Tennessee-Auburn. I think Tennessee's got the lead right now, too. All right. Let's go to P-Stone 18. Uh, when would you expect a decision on student about students on campus for the fall semester? And with that decision, uh, with that a decision about fall and winter sports, assuming fall sports are on, when would football practice start? In your opinion, 
Will there be an extended time to make up for spring, even a spring game? And thirdly, any word on if Tennessee will honor spring sports scholarships? I'll jump in on the third one. Tennessee is definitely going to honor their spring sports scholarships for those who want to come back for an extra year. That has not been mentioned to me by anybody that that's even a remote possibility of doing anything different other than that. As for number one, uh, you know, I think you're going to see Tennessee, um, and, and maybe by the time this pot, this mailbag uh, is, is active, Tennessee's already announced, because uh, I think they're going to announce uh, early Friday morning that their hope and their plan is in place to have students back on campus, but that's not an absolute guarantee. I think they'll make a similar announcement to what Missouri made yesterday. When you look at Missouri's announcement, it was we're planning on students being here and we hope that they're here. Uh, but in terms of a final decision on that, uh, you know, that's something on down the pike because we got to see how things play out here in the coming weeks as people and we go through these phases of uh, reacclimation, I guess, into some normal activity, uh, if that's the case. So let's go to question two. Let, let's say football is back, guys. H how do you think the NCAA conference commissioners, it'll have to be the NCAA because it'll be across the board, how would they address fall camp? Longer acclimation period, extra week of practice, OTA type stuff for weeks, you know, like if they're back in the month of, of, of July, do things in August and push the start of the season back several weeks. I guess every option is on the table. Give me your opinion on what it would be. I'll start with you, Rob. I think due to the fact that everybody, you know, lost at least most of spring practice for, you know, with, with very few exceptions, the, assuming, you know, if this decision, a decision of this magnitude, I think it would be made, you know, early, you know, say, I would say first of July at the latest. I think in that scenario, I kind of like your idea, maybe like some OTAs. I don't know that you get like a full-blown extra 15 practices to where kids are in camp for 45 days, you know, before the start of the season. But I, I think you'll get something in, in July that, you know, kind of that precedes the actual quote-unquote start of fall camp, would be my opinion. Anybody else? Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've said – I've been in agreement with that. I think Saban's plan uh, is something similar to that. I do think that the closer, you know, we get to that end of May, uh, which, again, we're still a month out, six weeks out, uh, you know, that May beginning of June, that's when a decision is going to have to be kind of be made if they're going to play the season on time. Uh, now, if this thing doesn't start till October, November, I'm not really sure how, it's, how a quote-unquote training camp is going to look because um, they may need more time. I don't know. You know, same thing as if the season rolls all the way. We saw multiple, you know, it wasn't just – it was Stuart Mandel and some other folks throwing out uh, Pete Thamel, you know, this week, throwing out their scenarios for, for a 2021 double season. Um, I don't know exactly how training camp would look in that scenario because a lot of those, you know, those seasons would start on January 1. Um, I would think they would need an even longer time because – players would effectively been away from football for, you know, eight months or more. So a lot, a lot of scenarios in play. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think you just, you know, it, it, kind of like the other night when you talked to us in the Monday night chat, we'll see where we are a month from now. Where are we a month from now? I mean, every day there's new news, there's new testing, there's new results. How, you know, the, 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 do we have a flare up when people, you know, start reopening these states? Who knows how this thing will transpire, transpire? I think if you can get over the hump when they reopen these states and don't have a, a you know, uh, you know, you know, have to take two or three steps back, then I think everything sets up for, at worst, um, you know, a, a 
couple of week delay to the start of the season outside of that. The, big, the biggest hurdle, I, I think, in my opinion, is just going to be, and this is where, you know, who makes this decision, which we don't know, but is how do they come to a consensus that it's okay to let students back to play? Because it's different everywhere, and that's what we're seeing in real time. It's different in Tennessee. It's different in Georgia. It's different in Kansas with what's different in New York to what's different in California. So how these, how that's made, because we know that, you know, if, if somebody in the SEC wants to make a decision, Ohio State's going to raise up their hands and say, nah, that's not fair. Like this needs, it, this needs to be a, you know, uniform decision. That's going to be probably the most difficult uh, thing, task, in my opinion, whenever that happens, whether it's a month from now or whenever. Yeah, I totally agree with you, and I think that's I think that's the point is how do you get everybody on board? And, and again, that's why the answer right now is I don't know because in the state of Georgia, you're going to be able to go to a gym and work out, but you're not going to be able to go to a gym in the state of Tennessee and work out for several more weeks uh, based on on what's being announced so far. And then then in, within the state, it's even breaking down county by county. So how you get the entire country on the same page for something like this? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody does, which is why I don't know probably makes the most sense to a lot of these questions. All right, Big Orange Warrior, do you think there will be an early signing period? I think it would, be, it would benefit Tennessee greatly not to have one so they can show kids what kind of improvement they're making on the field. Um, we've talked about this a little bit before. I, I think there's, it makes some sense to eliminate the early signing period, but there doesn't spe- seem to be a whole lot of, of talk about that. When I've asked some people about it, they've said, Look, it's not like the kid has to sign in December anyway, so why would you eliminate it? That, that's my opinion. Is you know, it's, it's an optional deal. I mean, I, I think you probably see less people take advantage of it, but I don't really see you know, a need to eliminate it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you'll see some pressure from some schools, just like I think there was you know, some silent pressure to you know, get in the boat now um, you know, and, and commit during this odd time of recruiting. Um, I think you'll see plenty of pressure, though, to, you know, with those same schools to get back in the boat officially and sign in December. Um, you know, it just, I, again, much like the last question, Brent, I think the best answer is just I, at this point, you don't know. I mean, I could see, I could make a case to, to eliminate it, but you could also make a case, as you just pointed out, to let it remain. I said this on the board yesterday in, in, in a thread that, Sparked some debate. Some people disagreed with me. Some people thought it was a, a decent idea. I, if the season gets delayed, where we're not starting until November, December, and you're talking about a rollover season, or this season doesn't start till 2021, I think you have it. I think you still have the early signing period, and and as many of these kids as can get on campus as as early enrollees. The 85, again, this is, a, this is a major hypothetical, but I do think it's something that is a real possibility the way we're sitting. The 85 is eliminated, and if you're an early enrollee, the redshirt rule is, is adjusted somehow. You're allowed, to, you're allowed to play in some games because they're going to need bodies if you're playing two seasons in a year. No question about that. Let's go to Govals21, who's got three questions here quick. Uh, what does, where does Tennessee stand for Prince Collie? Rob, what's the deal with English and Musselman? Something apparently happened on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, so those are his two questions. Let's let's start with you on the English and Musselman deal. I mean, from what I gather, uh, Coach English took some offense or 
uh, with, with Musselman, you know, kind of, he, if you pay any attention, Musselman is a big self-promoter on Twitter, does, you know, lots of kind of, you know, cute things to sort of get attention, draw attention to the program. And um, alleged, it, it appeared that, that Ken subtweeted him about a month or so ago after, after one of them and, you know, told young coaches to, to not, you know, not be self-promoters on Twitter. And I think the, probably the buzzword was he, he, he referred to it as foolery, but he never mentioned, you know, Musselman by name, but it was seemed pretty obvious that that's what it was. Oh, the ever popular subtweeting. Uh, um, Austin, where does Tennessee stand for Prince Collie? Well, I won't give you any tomfoolery on this answer. Uh, I think Tennessee's, you know, you know, in a spot where he wants to, you know, come down and see things when things open back up. I think Tennessee, again, was going to evaluate him at camp um, and just see where, you know, where they like him at. But I think Tennessee likes him on defense. Okay. Um, All Orange wants to know if the SEC TV contracts have a reopener clause that can be exercised with the unusual events. I don't know any details of the TV, of the, of the, of the TV contract with clauses in there surrounding cancellations. Or he wanted to know, could they ask for more money because of higher ratings? That's certainly not going to be the case, but I, I don't know uh, of any specific clauses in there for um, all that stuff. Obviously, if they don't have programming, I, I don't see how they pay out the $44 million to, to, from the SEC network on ESPN like they would every year. The FOIA, the FOIA requests are going to be wild, Hubs. Uh, come, you know, the, the longer this thing goes, because if, say, say the season becomes truncated, what happens with some of these coaches' contracts with bonuses they're supposed to get paid for, you know, X amount of wins and, and, and conference chip, you know, it's just some of that stuff and the amendments that are going to be thrown into those clauses are going to be wild. All right, let's go to Volunteer 87. Have any of Jackson Lowe, Sean Brown, and Jacob Warren made significant changes to their body? Additionally, have any of them impressed from an athletic standpoint? I know it's early for each of them to gauge if the ceilings of their career is becoming uh, kind of in play at this point. Do you see them being – consistent playmakers bonus for AP who are you taking Woods and Manning or uh, Mickelson and Brady uh, in that golf event I don't know what those guys bodies look like I think we all believe that this was a huge spring for that group in that position and of all the positions out there that group probably missed out on the spring practices more than any other position group at least that's my opinion 100% agree I think that the most likely to play out of those three Jacob Warren Sean Brown, and then Jackson Lowe. Uh, Brown had finally gotten healthy after some off-season surgery. And, and Jacob Warren's a guy that's put on nearly, you know, 45, 50 pounds since he, you know, arrived here um, and, and gotten to a point where I think the coaches didn't even think he could get to when he first got here. Um, you know, because, you know, he was a holdover recruit from the Butch Jones staff that signed here uh, with, with Coach Pruitt. And then I'll take Tiger and I'll take Peyton. Not going to go against Peyton. Is that more because of Peyton, or is that more because of Tiger beating Mickelson? I think I think Peyton's a better golfer than Brady, and I, at this point in the career, I know Tiger's a better golfer than Phil. But hey, say what you want to. To me, this is an indictment against all of the young players on the PGA Tour. Don't don't at me, anybody on the board. When when fifty when nearly fifty year old Phil Mickelson is still the draw alongside forty four year old Tiger Woods. That tells me all I need to know. What if they Brady has Belichick? What if, what if Brady has Belichick on the bag? Does that change anything for you? 
there's no chance in hell that he's having Belichick on the back. <laughs> it could send it could send a Manning drive into the woods though. But that Let's would go. be a good spot for Gronk to lose the twenty four seven title for WWE though. <laughs> All right, Jesse, to you, Pine Mountain Vol wants to know if you have to move a nickel or a corner to start at safety, who uh, who would likely that be, and what would your secondary look like if you have to move one, you know, a Shamburger to safety or Bryce or a Latte? I would move Shamburger to safety. Okay, and then who would be your nickel? Uh, I would open up a competition. Uh, I would probably, honestly, play Bryce a little bit more inside, um, and, and let Kenneth George play some outside. Or I would see if a guy like Tyus Fields is kind of ready for an ascent. Or does a freshman like Keyshawn Lawrence find his way on the field, you know, sometimes in some of these sub-packages? All right. Last question here is we got just a couple of minutes left. Uh, Blue Miss Vol wants to know basically why there's no more eye formations. And watching the review of the games, uh, he's enjoyed watching a fullback and the success Tennessee had with it. Why do you think college football has gone away from eye formation as well as the NFL? Don't everybody jump in here at once. I mean, I couldn't give you a good answer. I mean, I think it's just the, the nature of the game. I think you've seen more – you've seen younger coaches more ascend. The, you know, the Sean McVay or, uh, you know, the McVays, the, the you know, uh, Lincoln Rileys, all those guys, you know, learn more in that spread system. The old school head coach has kind of went away. Um, and even, even some of the older head coaches, whether it be Nick Saban or David Cutcliffe or whoever, who have run I-Formation stuff in the past, they've ad- adapted their game. Uh, Jim to- Cheney. Yeah. The simplest, well, an, the, simplest, the simplest answer, though, is just that the stats have now bore out that it is much more efficient to pass the football than it is to run the football. And so as the game has modernized, uh, that, that even though some run, great running teams are still very, very you know, always up there in, in, in the rankings, uh, even they have shot away, the Georgias and the Ohio States and other have shot away because it's just less efficient to run the ball than pass the ball uh, in terms of playing football these days. Well, and I think the, to piggyback off of that as we walk, get out the door here quickly is that um, even a guy like Nick Saban has spread the field out and got rid of a fullback because the days of driving the ball 12, 14 plays, that's not what college football is about. It's about scoring in chunks. It's about chunk plays. It's a lot easier to get a chunk play throwing the ball 25 yards in the air than it is expecting a running back uh, to run it 25 yards downfield. And your scoring drives have chunk plays in them because, as Jesse mentioned, that's just the modernization of college football. All right, let me tell you quickly about our friends at Blue Water Climate Control and their smooth sailing service plan. Be sure to check that out. I've mentioned it to you a couple times before. There's plenty of uh, great rewards for being a part of this service plan, including a loyalty plan where you can accrue uh, payment towards a, a replacement heating and air system. You can also get the 40-point diagnostic of your entire system, which includes ductwork, prioritized response to air conditioning repairs and maintenance needs. All those things are available to you at Blue Water Climate Control. For more information, contact them at 865-299-2290. Don't forget to mention VolQuest. You can check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. That's going to do it for the VolQuest.com podcast. Have a great day, everybody.